PR Pro Cannabis Media. Here we go in three, two, one. I'll wait for you. There you go. Okay, here we go in three, two, one. Hi, everyone. Welcome to a very special edition of In the Weeds with Jimmy Young. Remember to like, share, subscribe to all our podcasts and our videos on YouTube and our entire Pro Cannabis Media Television Network that, of course, live streams 24-7 on Apple, on Roku, and our own website, Pro Cannabis Media. I'm so happy to be joined by our friend Rick Thompson from Michigan, who contributes regularly, weekly, to our Weed Talk News show, as well as his own Jazz Cabbage Cafe program that we carry so proudly here on the PCM-TV network. Rick Thompson, a pleasure to see you, sir. Thank you, Jimmy. Always a pleasure to join In the Weeds. And we are so happy to have two people from the Michigan area. Actually, it's three if we include Mr. Thompson in this. Um, We have the... uh, the legend, the myth, uh, his name is Shannon Walters. He's with Light Sky Farms, and he's joined by his marketing manager, Drew Fortune, on this particular program. Guys, thank you so much for joining us. And, uh, and Shannon, we're going to start with you because, my goodness, your resume, 35 High Times Cannabis Cup Awards, two in 2021. I mean, I'm guessing that's just the uh, the most recent awards because I saw a picture of you uh, where you're donned with all of your uh, awards. You have been in this business for a long time, haven't you, Shannon? Yeah, I have since sixth grade. Sixth grade, that even precedes me. Okay, so that's very cool and, and good for you uh, because you've gone from, um, I don't know, you tell us your story. How would you describe yourself and your own story uh, as far as a success in the cannabis industry? Well, it's a pretty, pretty um, long story, but we'll try to make it short. <laughs> like Fair I enough. said, when I was in like sixth grade, I stole my first bag of weed from my dad and we went out in the backyard and planted the seeds because it was Mexican, you know, brickweed. <laughs> and here we are today and I'm 50 years old and have a, a legal cannabis label on the market and pretty proud of that. Um, and everything in between how I got to this point was um, I was in the wine industry for many, many, many years. And I decided to exit the wine wine game and get into the weed game full time when uh, it became medically legal in Michigan. So I went out and got my card and got my other five cards for my patients and went about the business of um, trying to create some real medicinal strains, um, breeding you know, CBD and THC and CBG and CBN um, intentionally together to try to get some real medicinal cannabis out there on the market. And, and we succeeded in that. <clears throat> At that time, I wanted to um, market the brand because in the wine industry, I made a lot of brands, made a lot of people wineries, uh, made a lot of people winning wines from wineries at the international level and never really kept the trophies and marketed it myself or got a piece of the pie. So this time I said, fuck that, I'm going to keep the trophies market this thing and um, try to make something that I can get into the game with because I wasn't a millionaire and I still am not. And you need to be to get into the legal weed market, really, frankly, unfortunately. So it worked. I went out and participated in high times events. That was my main marketing strategy because most of the masses get their, you know, information from that platform, you know, you know, middle of the road platform. And uh, it seemed to work. 
we 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 went out there. We whooped some butt against the best in the world. Uh, got 11 first place high times trophies over the years. Half of them for CBD products, and the other half were six vape cartridge trophies in a row. So in that in that effort, the Total Health Collective group met with me because I was selling a a, a, um, a a dispensary that I was building. They didn't get the dispensary because I had it under contract, but we got to we got together and. The rest is history, really. There you go, and and um, and bringing Drew Fortune along, uh, a guy who uh, has a uh, an author and a, a screenwriter, and a guy who's been involved with media for a long time. Uh, Drew, you love a good story, and you've got a good story to tell, don't you? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'd like to think so. Um, so I've been doing, I've been writing uh, professionally for about seventeen years. Um, started out in Chicago, uh, doing music reviews, album reviews, uh, concert reviews. Um, and from there, I just, uh, just kind of kept building, um, to the point, all I wanted to do was get a piece in Rolling Stone at some point. So I achieved that. And then, uh, then I started writing for Vanity Fair a lot. And, um, but you know, at the same time, uh, I, I'm about to turn 40 in January. And, um, you know, if, if things are tough in, uh, the cannabis industry, they are just as bad in the freelance world. Um, no one's making any money. It's getting way worse. Um, so that's when I got a call from, uh, one of my best friends I went to college with in, uh, the early two thousands. And he said, Hey, my brother, uh, is, is starting this cannabis facility and, uh, they acquired the light sky brand. Um, how would you feel about, uh, I don't know. How would you feel about doing a story for vanity fair? That's initially how it started. Yeah. And I said, sure. That'd be interesting. Um, and then it really happened very quickly in 2021, early 2021, I came out for um, essentially an interview and it just made sense. They were looking for someone to handle marketing and I had done music PR in Los Angeles um, for about five to six years. So, you know, it, it was nothing, I had never done this specifically before, but a lot of my skills transferred nicely, essentially. Um, but yeah, this is all the wild west to me, man. I mean, yeah, I lived in LA in the, you know, in from 2010 to 2015, you know, it was still kind of baby steps around that point in terms of uh, the cannabis industry. Um, you know, cookies were doing their thing and I was aware of that. But then I moved to South Carolina where I spent the last six years and oh my, no, I was buying black market, you know, um, buying eighth black market again. So when I moved here, yeah, there's, there's a lot to learn and a lot of, you know, it's fun, but a lot to learn. So, and, and one of the most learned people I know in the Michigan space is, of course, Rick Thompson. And, and Rick, you, you heard Shannon's story, and I'm sure you've heard stories like this before. Now, he's got a background in winemaking. Um, he's now in, engrossed in the cannabis space. But the one thing that stuck out with his opening statement for me is he can't make any money. How challenging is it to people that have moved from the legacy side of things over to the legal side in Michigan to try and make a living in cannabis? Well, it's doubly difficult than it would be for people who didn't have our history in the, in the gray market. Shannon and I have a very similar story with getting into the, the market at its inception in 2008 with Big Daddy's in the dispensary market and, and Shannon, of course, doing his thing with Light Sky. But the reality is, you can't get financing if you have a history in the black market. The financing is tough to come by in the first place because you're not traded on the American stock exchange. You're only traded on the Canadian exchange. So you're very limited in the number of people that are willing to extend credit to you. 
And then if you compound that with some of the federal banking regulations, which makes it much more difficult to acquire financing, most of the people that have elevated from the legacy market to the regulated market have either been self-financed or they've had to sell everything and then sort of stay on as management or as partial owner in order to be able to achieve that. It's quite a sacrifice a lot of people are forced to make. Yeah. Uh, Shannon, back to you. Um, you're, you've obviously got yourself a great reputation. Uh, what are some of the things that you'd like to see make it a little easier, not just for your own uh, business, but for others in the Michigan space to perhaps get into it? And is it all about access to capital? Certainly it is all about in access to capital. And that's why I marketed a brand and, and basically sold it off and kept a small percentage so I could still be in the game, be a part of it, but there's no way I could have financed it. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I have decent credit, but the millions and millions it takes to um, to build one of these things out, to start it up, you know, to do the marketing is, is a lot. What I'd love to see is, you know, at the beginning of this game in Michigan, as Rick knows very well, you know, the caregiver system is what a lot of these legacy brands were able to build upon. And um, <clears throat> we were able to, you know, sell the overages to these dispensaries. And you'd have to get it lab tested and do all the same things that a regulated market would do. But they've taken that away in Michigan as the, as you know, corporate cannabis has come in. We, there is no chance for the small guy to, to create a brand anymore and to take the steps that it takes to market himself in the, in the regulated market and be recognized as something, somebody who's good at what they do, you know, and, and, and then be able to do sort of what I did or some other path to, to legitimate, you know, tax taxed market. So they took that away. And that I think would be the best thing. Like the, the spirit of the law, I believe was written so that those people could participate in this game. And also the people that are growing thousands and thousands and thousands of plants with, you know, millions and millions of dollars of budgets and hundreds of people doing the jobs. I feel like, the small guy isn't really a threat to them, you know, that would be best if he could participate, make some diversity in the market and maybe make the bar a little higher for everybody else as well. Rick, if that what makes is, any sense. Rick, Rick, what is going on um, in Michigan uh, politically as far as uh, giving a fair shake to the caregivers? I believe that there is a little controversy in that uh, state, isn't there right now? It sure is. Our caregiver program, if you look just at the law, our caregiver program has been unchanged for about the last 12 years. But if you live in reality, our caregiver program has been very dynamic over the last 12 years. As Shannon mentioned, as we first rolled out retail stores, retail stores worked with caregivers in order to provide products for registered medical marijuana patients who were unable to grow their own cannabis and couldn't hook up with a caregiver. And then when the regulated market came in, there was a gap of time between where they launched retail stores before they were able to self-sustain their own supply. So what did they do? They leaned on the caregiver market until the caregiver market, you know, wasn't necessary. Then they dropped it. But then they opened up adult use and then they had to lean on the caregiver market again to help adult use to get launched. And then as soon as they had self-sustaining cultivation facilities, they dropped caregivers from the market too. So caregivers have been First of all, the, the spine of this entire program for the last dozen years, but they've also been told several different stories and given several different opportunities, which were then taken away. It's been very difficult for caregivers in Michigan to reconcile any faith with governmental systems when they see the, you know, the authorization to sell your overages, then don't sell your overages, then sell your overages, then don't sell your overages. 
it's a mixed message that lends people to drop out of the system and just go completely black market. Shannon, do you feel used? I definitely um, think that everybody that got dropped feels used. You know, I'm fortunate enough that I had the small little to window. It was like this much window of time open to, you know, get into the regulated market, get the brand sold off, get it going. So I can't even do that anymore because I, you know, when you are in the regulated market, you can't really participate in the caregiver market. Um, but yeah, definitely, it's a it's a real slap in the face when you are trying to build something and then, then you get it taken away, whatever it might be. True. Sounds like you've got a good story to spin there, pal. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, we're certainly dealing with, uh, well, we're dealing with some blowback from, uh, you know, the caregivers. Um, and it's, it's tricky to, cause you know, my job is essentially to say Shannon's been doing the caregiver thing for so long and, you know, he built his, so much of his reputation on, you know, the care caregiver and giving back to that community. Um, so yeah, it is, it is tricky. And I think there is a lot of, um, bad, well, um, there's not a lot of trust. I don't think to anyone who tries to go quote unquote corporate. Yeah. So, so I guess guys, the question is, can it be fixed in Michigan? Rick, what, what's your feeling? Is there an opportunity to give, the the people that have been uh, putting their sweat equity into the belief of, of building, uh, you know, growing medicine to, to help others. Is there a way for them to some is there a room for them in this market now? Now, could we craft laws that would create an opportunity for caregivers to participate alongside regulated marketplace? Yeah, we sure could. In fact, in 2014, we had the local option bill, which was specifically designed to create a retail environment. So solely supplied by caregivers. We know how to do that. The question becomes, do we have a legislature willing to pass laws that state that? And are the, the monetary financial uh, resources that are, are commanded by big business, would they allow caregivers to take away a share of their business? The people want it, but I don't believe the legislature is capable of doing it. And we see right now a particular proposal before the legislature to create a sham kind of an opportunity for caregivers to participate in the market. It's called a, a specialty cannabis grower. But in reality, it's a license type that will never see the light of day. It requires municipal approval. It requires all the same requirements for a commercial entity, but yet less regulations. So there'll be few communities if any, that will actually want these particular type of businesses. Plus a regular caregiver would be hard pressed to come up with the finances necessary to rent a commercial building, to go through all the different stages that are necessary before you can get approval. So as it's currently written, the cannabis specialty grower license is a non-functioning non-starter in Michigan. But certainly in my mind, my people could create a way for caregivers to get involved. We did before. I was going to say, you know, is that a function now more of the lobbyist and, and you know, in inside each state government than um, and and again, are you you're still it's like we're forever fighting City Hall. And I say we those that are pro cannabis, because it seems like the politicians, the big businessmen are still controlling the rollout of regulations at all state levels, even a state that has a mature market like Michigan. Is that what's going on, right? Shannon, sure. yes? Absolutely true, I think. Go ahead, Shannon. Yeah, I agree, yeah. 
Yep. What so we're seeing now is the money, the moneyed interest. Uh, um, it's just the, the nature of our democratic government system where we allow black money to come into elections, uh, unregulated, unmonitored political donations to be able to influence campaigns <laughs> okay, that make it impossible for you to, as a citizen, for you to track it, for you to understand what's happening and for you to effectively counter that, that money. Plus, we don't have the resources available that, uh, that big business does. And Michigan is one of the states where multi-state operators fear to tread because we have such a great history of caregiving and, and uh, let's just call it unlicensed sales here in the state. But also, we're a very open system as far as no, no limitations on the number of licenses that can be issued, no limitations on the number of, of licenses per community. So in that instance, we would seem to be supporting small business, but the hurdles that it takes to go from a caregiver operation to a small business operation are just too great. Hey, Rick, I had a quick question, Jimmy, if you don't mind. Um, the less I have there... to say, the better, Drew. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> uh, Rick, is there a state that is doing the caregiver system properly, one that we could almost model Michigan on? Or There really is forward? not. The, yeah. I'm sorry, Drew. Yeah, I sorry to cut you off, but no, there really isn't. Uh, Michigan's caregiver system is almost unique in the United States. Uh, there are several other places that have caregiver programs, but um, our Maine system is, is, Maine is the one that I that comes to mind immediately to me because the caregiver system preceded the license system in Maine. Uh, mm -hmm. And then Bob with our 2008 law partially on Maine. You're about right, Jimmy. Yeah, but they but they too trust me. They have their challenges too. And and Drew, I can certainly throw this out there and, and and shannon i don't know if you've ever heard of uncle pete transfontaine from maine but this guy uh was really one of the biggest advocates for years in that state he is a caregiver and um you know would be willing to chat with you guys in any way i guarantee you um just because he's a uh, we consider uncle pete a friend of a uh, pro cannabis media since he's been with us since the beginning Cool. And we watched that whole thing grow. So any questions you might have about the history of it? Plus, you know, guess what? In the Weeds with Jimmy Young with Uncle Pete Tranchmontaine is out there available for on-demand viewing and listening. So if you want to check it out, you can. But I tell you, there's a bigger issue here, guys. And it's, it's something I continue to read about every week in the various, in Weed Week and MJ Biz Daily and in Ganjapreneur and all the, the newsletters that are out there that are covering this industry. I think everyone recognizes, especially in the beginning, and I just came back from New York, uh, a show in New York at the CWCB. Uh, and of course, New Jersey is, is also new to the market, if you will. New York thinks they've got it right. And I'm going to tell you right now, before they even issue one license, there's no way they got it right. Okay. Nobody's going to get it right because in the beginning, whenever you're writing regulations and writing new laws, there, there isn't a right way or a wrong way. It's just the way to get it done. And, and I think Michigan's a great example. They've chosen a way to get it done. And I'm listening to three guys that have been privy to what's been going on in that state, and they haven't gotten it right there either, even though you've had a strong history of advocacy and reform in that state. So I guess the next topic of conversation is what can be done? I think we all see that in the beginning of a market like New Jersey and New York, the MSOs are going to get in. The social equity applicants are going to get in front of the line, at least get an opportunity to get to that front of the line. But my question is, are they using social equity applicants as a, as a kind of a sham? It's kind of like, hey, we're doing this right. See, 
But in reality, it's all about access to capital. And I keep hearing that you're not going to get access to capital. So it, are, are we in a catch-22? How is the cannabis industry? Is the cannabis industry going to survive no matter what? I guess is the question. Rick, you, as someone, you, you can look at that question and, and at least pontificate on that, right? Well, I think it's, it's a truth of, of capitalism that industry will survive even if it is the most crass, uneducated, discriminatory industry. Industry can still survive. The goal being <coughs> we want to create a, a, an inclusive industry that respects people who have been in disproportionately affected communities over time. So the social equity program in Michigan hasn't really taken off as well as it should for a couple of different reasons. One of them is the lack of participation from the city of Detroit. Detroit has issued uh, medical marijuana business licenses, but wants to tie uh, the rollout of the adult use licensing program to social equity uh, applicants. And I love the idea. They just have to do it in a, in a legally compliant way. And the first time they tried it, it was not legally compliant. The marijuana regulatory agency just issued, they can create new license types at will if they wish. They just issued uh, six new license types, all specifically tied to social equity. And they did that because the current social equity situation wasn't getting the job done. And Jimmy, there's no shortage of people that say, I need to get into the industry because I've been disadvantaged. There is a shortage of people saying, I'm willing to lend you money to help you get into the industry because you've been disadvantaged. Right. Uh, Shannon, with your reputation, are you still having um, issues getting funding? Um, we don't have issues getting funding. Um, I know that the folks that have acquired my, my, my brand <clears throat> have spent a lot of money to get this thing off the ground. And, and I know that they could get raise more money, but we're trying to get it to um, pay for itself here along the way as well, instead of just constantly throwing a ton of money at it. I wanted right. to say one more thing on that subject we were just talking about. The overregulation of this is ridiculous. They treat it, the, they treat it like nuclear waste, which makes it um, even harder to get in because once all that stuff starts to pile up, then, then the money becomes even more, more of a problem because now you're dealing with, you know, you got to transport it through a safe courier. You got to do all these like crazy things. You got to keep records that are like, I thought the, the regulatory system in the alcohol industry was absurd. This is like twice as bad or five times or a hundred times as bad that, you know, there's like 10 people just to keep track of the compliance paper. It's like, you know, it's, it's yeah. absurd. Well, we should be, they should treat, treat this like growing tomatoes, man. You know, this is an agricultural product. You start getting into processing and things of that nature and lab work you know we, we've got to go through the testing and the safety precautions but the amount of oversight is just crippling to the small guy and the big guy frankly right yeah and all that regulation all it does is really just slow things down almost to a snail's crawl almost oh, um, man. yeah well, yeah right. Right. Like trying to pass legislation uh yeah. you know, on cannabis it, it takes forever um, and it's all about educating the people that are in charge. And, and yet you still see polls, 68% of Americans would like to see it legalized, you know, uh, and, and, and it just, it just drives me crazy as someone who, you know, talks about these issues with different people all over the country. And I hear similar stories about regulations, 280E, you know, um, and, and yet now there might even be some hope. And, and Rick, I'm going to throw this news item out at you. I'm sure you saw it yesterday or the day before, there's now a Republican-led initiative 
to perhaps get safe banking um, through the House of Representatives for the fifth time before it can even get to the Senate. Um, do we just shake our head at this or do we say, oh, now it's going to have to be a Republican led initiative to get uh, cannabis reform at the federal level? Well, Jimmy, it's a truth that typically the, the party that's not in power gains seats in the legislature during off-year elections. 2022 is an off-year election. Uh, as much as I'd like to see federal cannabis reform happen in 2022, I'm rather skeptical that it will. So if we're looking at a post-2022 schedule, Republican inclusion is going to have to be there. The The margin for the Dems in the House is, is nothing. It's 50-50. I mean, in the Senate, rather. And then the House, it's it's shrinking all the time. So it would be impossible to do this without some bipartisan support on a federal level. Plus, if you did it without bipartisan support, there wouldn't be a lot of buy-in from the states. And what we really want is people to believe that what the federal government's passed is actually going to be beneficial. Uh, the Republican proposal that you, you reference is what they call a more moderate proposal. It's not... Uh, doesn't include all of the different advantages we'd like to see in it, but it does still include unfettered interstate commerce. And that's something we're very concerned with. A brand like Light Sky Farms doing a great job in Michigan. Uh, in fact, I got a Light Sky Farms pen right here because I love yeah. you guys. <laughs> yeah, but, right. uh, but the reality is if, uh, if in 2022, multi-state operators were able to come in here the way that they have been in other places, or if they're able to ship their, their excess Oregon and California supply to Michigan, Light Sky Farms might just get washed right out of the market. Right. You're looking at places that have been holding thousands and thousands of, of vape carts. Oregon has like a two-year oversupply of cannabis on its shelves. It would just love to shove at a discount down Michigan consumers' throats. And it would disrupt all of the small businesses that have already started here. As much as I'm in favor of federal regulation, we have to restrict the transfer of cannabis from state to state in order to respect the initial state licensees and make sure that they're protected in this dynamic marketplace. Yeah, I think part of that bill um, didn't put some kind of an interstate tax, an excise tax, I believe, on, uh, on 3.5%. Interstate. Yeah, yep. and, and I think in theory that that may make sense, but it has to be a controlled, it has to be really <laughs> controlled. And I, I you know, you're you're asking a lot for an industry um, that has you know has been around for thousands of years. Let's face it, um, used medicinally by thousands of people over the years uh, to you know become like the perfect industry, new industry. And 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 uh, through over regulation, they're they're offering the they're making sure that you have every restriction possible to make it to get it work to get it to work. And I, and I don't think it's, it's certainly not fair. And Shannon, I can sense some frustration in, in, your, in your answers as well, because, you know, all you're trying to do is grow a plant, right? And, and yep. <laughs> it's like, and, but there's 80 years of, of this propaganda, this misinformation that's fighting every single movement in every legislation, whether it's at the state or at the federal level, all over the world. Um, so it, it, it's tough to get it right coming out of the gate. And I think that continues to be um, a lot of the frustration. Are there advice? If there, We have lots of listeners in Texas, uh, an illegal market, and New York and New Jersey, a growing market. From, from your perspective in the Michigan experience, uh, Shannon, what would you suggest an operator in any of those states trying to make it from either the legacy side to the legal side, or or is the advice just stay where you are? <laughs> yeah, try, try to get it. Try to make a living in whatever way you can. 
try to um, <clears throat> try to navigate the um, the system that you have to work with and push it to its furthest boundary without going to jail, you know, because right. to get out there and to try to market yourself as a brand, because that's what it takes to get into the market, right? Is, there's a lot of risk involved in that. I mean, put my ass on the line, you know, with, with the brand and the trying to market it and do all this stuff right at the edges of what you were allowed to do in the caregiver, you know, model that they had set up here. Right. And I'll tell you as a father and a homeowner and all that scary as hell. So my advice is, is go for it. Right. But try to, try to, uh, try not to get, try not to have the feds oh. knocking on your door. Like they were on mine the day before I sold this thing, <laughs> you got I'm the, DEA, you got the DEA, the local narcotics agency and all these people knocking on your warehouse door while you're trying to exit and get into the market. It's like, those are the realities that people face and it, and it, and it, and it really sucks, frankly, you know? So my, my advice is, Go get it, but be careful. Yeah, I mean that that just bothers. And and that take it to the next level. So they bust you. Let's just say they they barge in, they bust you, they confiscate, they they bring you up on charges, and then but the prosecutors really aren't. They don't want to waste time on prosecuting a legal entity now. You know that it, it it's. I go back to what Judge Clarence Thomas said: federal contradictory laws are causing incredible headaches at the state level, right? Well, remember that there's a federal prohibition against using uh, prosecutor dollars and prosecutors uh, to prosecute state legal cannabis activity on a federal level. But right. that's that's a very thin sheet. It's not much of a protection because they can certainly decide that you've made a technical violation of law and therefore you're no longer state compliant and therefore it's totally fine for them to prosecute you. Uh, Shannon knows Ryan Basor and that's Ryan Basor's story. Uh, we had state legal, uh, state compliant grow operations and then they, uh, they couldn't prosecute on the state level. So they turned it over to the feds and they aggregated all the plants together in order to make it seem as if there was a much larger conspiracy and put several people in jail, including my, my at that time, business partner, Ryan Basor. So, wow. You know, I, Don't go catching a RICO charge, you know? <laughs> that's a big threat. You know, you know, Shannon talked about the fear that you have as a homeowner, as a father, uh, that, that that sound is gonna come on your door. We were raided at Big Daddy's and I feared every day I worked in that gray market that my family was gonna be subject to that kind of a raid. Um, it's an anxiety that you shouldn't have to live with in order to just make a living for your family and to do it in a way that the, that we interpret the law to say is totally allowable. So, you know, maybe, maybe part of the reform should be some kind of a, a amnesty for five years or something to, for transition. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm just trying to figure out ways to make this work. It, it just seems like the opportunity, the perfect storm is in place right now. You've got the public wanting it. Um, every, the problem, you know, as we all know, in a capitalist society and Rick, you're certainly feel free to jump right in here, um, is everybody wants to get their piece and right. And then they want to compare their piece to your piece so that my piece is bigger than your piece, you know, and, uh, I'm not a big fan of that because I still maintain that the market is big enough. If it is a fair and equitable distribution of the market and it, that. Does that go counter what capitalism is all about? 
Well, I don't think it does. Uh, capitalism can be done in a responsible manner. You can still look to make a profit while not trying to, to grab all the marbles from all the children on the playground, right? Right. So I don't think capitalism is inconsistent with humanity. One thing right. I'll say, though, too, is that this is a unique marketplace because there's a, an existing, overpowering, and all-pervasive black market that exists on a parallel world to the regulated market. And mm -hmm. as a consumer, using the regulated market is optional for me. I have other places I can go. If the regulated market creates regulations that I don't agree with, or they create a system that doesn't work for me, I'll go someplace else. So it's not as if you're regulating uh, the automobile industry or the solar panel industry, where there really <coughs> is an alternative market. And when federal regulators are crafting these laws, I think they forget that they have to tread lightly or else they'll scare people out of the regulated system and into the black market. And when that happens, I mean, I, I, I was a black market user for many, many years, as we all know, but people lose, right? People that invested a lot of money in the regulated market are hoping people will come to them and use that system. I hope they do too. It's safer. It makes more sense, but we have to not over-regulate. That's a concern. Right. Um, are there parts of that bill, Rick, that, uh, that uh, the Republican, I think Ohio was a Republican was she from? I can't remember where the, the representative was from who filed that bill, but um, were there parts of it uh, getting rid of 280E and moving it down the schedule as opposed to descheduling? Um, at this point, does it matter? It absolutely matters. If you, if you leave it on the schedule, even as a schedule five, there's still a Department of uh, a DEA you know, drug enforcement agency action that can be taken against people who are cannabis consumers or cannabis retailers. If you remove it from the schedule, deschedule it, like Bernie Sanders originally suggested, yeah. uh, and Chuck, Chuck Schumer seems to, to, to fancy, then the DEA is completely out of it. And I think in order for this industry to be successful, the DEA needs to be completely out of it. Yeah. And, and are you come, I, I mean, look, I, as much as I'd love to think that it would be under the auspices of the FDA. They haven't exactly um, worked very well with the hemp industry over the last few years since the farm bill passed. The FDA still can't even get the regulations right for that. Right. Well, uh, we're having a hard time with federal governments uh, trying to shed away all of these decades of, of drug war uh, uh, hysteria. Uh, you've got departments that never wanted anything to do with cannabis now being told you have everything to do with cannabis. And it shouldn't be a surprise that they are slow to change. So eventually we'll get to the place we want to be. But in this tween time between the authorization and the actual good program, that's a lot of years of people struggling to make things work. There was just a recent decision by the United States Postal Service not to allow things like this to be shipped from place to place unless it's uh, on a retail level. You can still ship them on a, on a wholesale level. But uh, you... Uh, FedEx followed, as well as the, the brown truck guys. So all of that contributes to an attitude that, that the states want it, but government is still slow to yield. Yeah. You know, I always wonder myself um, how, how much mis misinformation about cannabis still goes on in City Hall and some of the regulators. I mean, do they still almost operate uh, with the reefer madness mentality that this is still the devil's lettuce it's going to corrupt morally corrupt in society. I think they do, man. When I'm at my town, town hall, trying to get stuff passed in my town, it was like, um, 
it was like madness. And wow. it's, it, it's, it's barely, they're barely even here in Traverse City at, at the rec level mound. It's like everything seems to be um, a huge battle, right, Rick? It is. And if you, if you watch the video of the regulatory reform committee for a couple of weeks from a couple of weeks ago, when I got gaveled down and kicked out, uh, they, you can really see the lack of information on the part of the house representatives there, not a lack of interest, but a just lack of info. And in fact, one uh, representative called cannabis a drug, and we haven't heard that for a while from elected officials. So the, you know, the fact that we elect reps every two years means we have to do an ongoing series of educational situations in order to keep them up to date on what's going on. And I guess maybe we just haven't done our job enough to keep them informed as to where they should be. I'm going to disagree with you. I'm going to disagree with that, Rick, Mm because I think you guys and everybody in the industry tries to do the best job they can about educating. To me, it comes down to effort by our elected officials. And and it is a unfortunate in it's an it's unfortunate that it takes effort. And I use sports analogies all the time. It's the same reason why in basketball, these guys could score at will. That's why defense wins championships. Defense takes effort. Effort means initiative. You've got to actually take an interest in learning about the product, taking the time to do that. We, the three of us, four of us on this discussion on this show right now, have an interest in the industry. So we take the time to get ourselves to look at the newsletters, to look at the research studies that are out there, to talk to people like Shannon who have the experience um, in the industry, in you know, sweat equity, literally in the fields, making the product and 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 making it work. And by the way, probably helping hundreds, if not thousands, of people improve their lives through the medicine that this plant offers. So again, it isn't so much. I, I just think it's effort by our elected officials, and I think the elected officials that are making money, like the ones in D.C not necessarily at state department level, but definitely at the town level. They don't make a lot of money at the town level. They're the ones that need the most education right now because it it will help the local small business owner actually get going in this if they get any kind of help at all from their local elected officials. Let's face it. There's a reason why all of our voters are voting happens during presidential elections. We don't see a lot of turnout for local town elections. And you can see the frustration of people trying to start businesses at local towns in a highly regulated industry that are just shut down left and right. This is what bothers me. And again, it goes back to educating local people. Um, You guys, go ahead, Rick. I can tell you that in Michigan, we have 1,700 different municipalities, but only 111, 111 allow cannabis businesses on a medical level, 150 allow cannabis businesses on an adult use level out of 1,700. Right. And so we've that's been, less that's than 20%, up, right? I was yeah. going to bring up that point as well. You know, this opt in, opt out monkey business is bullshit. We got like the people voting for this and we want it. That's, that should be the end of the line. Shouldn't be right. like, this township over here. So I got Traverse City, for example, Garfield, they're not, they're opt out. Well, there's a huge industrial park over there. It would be great to have that as a place, you know, instead of just storage units or something like that. So this, the other states coming in shouldn't do this opt in, opt out. If your people want it, give it to them. Yeah, <laughs> shouldn't have some um, judgmental township hall crew 
deciding what the people get when the people already wanted it. <laughs> yeah. Human, human behavior is such, by the way, when given options, right. okay, we're going, we tend to take the easiest option. Okay. And for stuff that we don't know, it's easy to opt out of it, which I think is why you're seeing 20, only 20% of townships in Michigan opting into it. What has to happen in time is the towns that have opted in are getting the tax benefits of having that industry in their backyard. We're starting to see it now in Massachusetts. I think it's three years almost to the day of them opening up the adult use market uh, here in Massachusetts. They're now starting to see some of these municipalities actually opt out of the 3% in money that was originally part of the, the deal so that it would uh, you know, offset those extra overtime issues that we have to have for police detail, for the traffic and the craziness. Well, there's been no craziness. There hasn't been an increase of traffic uh, at, the, at the levels that they expected, that the naysayers said. So they're starting to learn that, you know what, maybe these 3% impact fees aren't as necessary. So hopefully in due time, the cannabis industry will be treated like every other industry that's an adult 21 product, like perhaps alcohol. I mean, I'm, I'm only using my experience of my own home state here to share with you guys, because, uh, you know, in time, perhaps they'll see the benefits of opting in at the beginning or even opting in after time. And there's been more and more towns now that are starting to come online because, you know, if you're in a town government, you still have a budget. And, you know, if um, the town next to you is starting to reap the benefits with a new firehouse or a new library or better education system because of the tax dollars that are being funded by the cannabis industry in that town, perhaps those other local officials will say, gee, maybe we should look at this cannabis thing and look and study it about how we can take advantage of it. Sure, um, but I'm so impatient. What's that? I said, sure, but I'm so impatient. <laughs> we we're, we all look at the cannabis industry. We'd like it. We'd like them to understand the value because we've been part yep. of the value for years. Okay. For sure. But uh, And the benefits of it. But we do know you are fighting City Hall. You are fighting that, that stigma that we all have to face on a regular basis. Um, closing thoughts, Rick. Um, what would you like to see happen uh, in Michigan over the next two to three years so that uh, perhaps it could be a better, more equitable market? I'd like to see social equity actually realized. I'd like to see uh, people who need financial assistance in order to get into the market, have that ability to do so. Shannon had a great product and it, it was legendary in the, in the gray market and was able to transition that over into the regulated market. I can think of a couple other brands uh, in different spheres. Uh, Captain Kirk's edibles come to mind right off the bat that, that would absolutely benefit from regulated market exposure, but, but certainly cannot do that because of limited financial experience. Yeah. And, and, and Shannon, someone who started on the caregiving side of things too, you've got products that can help people, right? Yes. Yeah, that's for sure. And we're trying to develop those into the regulated market every day. It's a slow, it's a very slow crawl from my garage days, right. And my, my warehouse day to try to get all the things that I made back in those days on the shelves so that people can have them. But our goals are being realized. The plants are being grown. The extract lab is up and running. Um, and, the retail store is almost complete. So we're still, we're six months or so into the, the actual license. It takes, it takes a minute, but um, yep, the, the spirit of my 
my fledgling brand was to help people. <clears throat> and I developed a lot of products that did help people. And I gave a lot of things away. I supported people monetarily uh, through, through my gains personally. Um, I have a, I have a great story to tell that there's a book being written that will help people. So it's be sort of a little guide um, on one man's path to the cannabis with cancer and his um, recovery, substance recovery from it. And so I, the answer is yes. <laughs> I yeah. can go on and on, but. That's all right. No, it's, it's good. How do people find out about Light Sky Farms? True. Um, we're on LeafLink. Uh, we just went live on LeafLink about two weeks ago. LeafWire. I'm sorry? Isn't it LeafWire? No, LeafLink. LeafLink. Leaf what is LeafLink? It's an online marketplace for cannabis. Okay. And, but I can't go in Massachusetts and go on to LeafLink and get Light Sky Farms, right? No, I mean, we, we are regulated to Michigan right now. Right. Um, yeah. But, you know, we're spread out across the state in other provisioning centers. And uh, we are, like Shannon said, opening our own provisioning center on site in Burton um, early uh, Q1 of next year. There you go. Well, I hope one day to visit the great state of Michigan um, and, yes, and, hang out, and hang out with Rick Thompson. I, I, Rick, have we ever met face to face? It's been a Zoom relationship. Am I right? It's been a it's been a really good Zoom relationship though, Jimmy. Not like those other Zoom relationships I had before you. So yeah, but this is it's a we've not we were supposed to go to MJ Biz, uh, but I was uh, in, unable to do that, and unfortunately we weren't able to get together. But we do a lot of work together. It's it's fun. Yes, we do. Well, we do see you every week on We Talk News, and we appreciate that. And and guys, uh, you know, obviously anything I can do to help out uh, opening up doors for you um, online, I'm certainly willing to help with that. And you've got a great, you've got a great advocate for the industry with Rick Thompson. We were lucky to have him as part of our world and, uh, and his jazz cabbage cafe is a regular program on our pro cannabis media network. So, uh, Drew fortune and, and, um, and Shannon Walters from light sky farms. I so appreciate spending some time with you guys. I know we worked on this for a couple of weeks. I'm glad we were able to carve out some time and get it together. You know, our hope as a network here is to continue to, to share these stories with the world, because I so believe that uh, this plant can make such an impact so many ways. We've all seen it. We all want to see it grow literally, figuratively, and, uh, and I, I believe in collaboration, not competition. There's plenty of room to go around for everybody. So uh, for Rick Thompson and for uh, Drew Fortune and for Shannon Walters from Light Sky Farms, I thank you all for joining us. Remember, it's a whole new world of weed out there. Use it responsibly. Once again, I'm Jimmy Young from Pro Cannabis Media. We'll see you on Weed Talk News and all of our programming. Like, share, and subscribe. Have a good one. Weed Talk and In the Weeds are two productions of Pro Cannabis Media supported by Revolutionary Clinics, one of the top medical cannabis dispensaries in the Massachusetts area. Now with three locations in Greater Boston, two in Cambridge and one on Broadway in Somerville. Rev Clinics has a patient-first mission. They will customize your needs as a medical patient with the proper titration and combination of strains, flavors, and products. Rev Clinics, where the patient comes first. Difference is building a solution for that individual. 
not just a custom, here's a box, here's a video, here's how you make your VMS. We custom design and custom build every situation for exactly what the customer needs. And we keep the cost low. We have multiple tiers, you know, as far as what you're looking at on the cost side of things. If you want a one-time, you know, where you just pay one initial cost, we have that. If you want to maintain your system and have the highest protection and highest capabilities and highest upgrades at all times, we have different plans for you. But we scale it so it's scalable and affordable 100%. Cannabis Media Programming is available live and on demand on our Facebook page at ProCannaMedia, on Instagram at ProCannabisMedia, on LinkedIn also at ProCannabisMedia, on YouTube and YouTube Live on ProCannabisMedia, Twitter at ProCannaMedia, and on twitch.tv backslash ProCannabisMedia. So like, share, and subscribe to all of our content, newsletters, and shows live or on demand. We are Pro Cannabis Media.